Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We've got a wonderful show planned for you today. Guy Talk is going to start any second now. Uh, men, guys who talk, <laughs> the power panel is assembling, and it's uh, it's interesting as it's assembling. We've got Pastor Tom Parrish and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Uh, talk, uh, t- Pastor Tom Brock is out today, according to his uh, staff, and uh, 007, who knows about him. He comes as and goes as he pleases. Can't control him. You cannot control no, that man. You can't. And Bill, I, I actually see reliability as a mark of spiritual maturity. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's all. I mean, parish. That's all that needs to be said right now, right? That's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I want to invite the listeners to let us know what your questions are. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You can also email me, Bill at myfaithradio.com if you prefer to do that. Instead, we'll take. Your questions, your comments, anything you'd like us to discuss uh, or process with you, let us know, 877-933-2484. I was reading in Romans chapter 10 today, this wonderful verse, starting in 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hmm. Powerful verse. Yep. And accurate. Um doesn't fit with all the other verses of the Bible. They have other stipulations. We talk about repenting and a variety of things. But it all that's why we got, always got to take a big look at the Scriptures and not just one particular verse because we miss all the essence that goes with it. But out of your heart, and that's that was identified as the person, it's really the what made the person up. If you're willing to do that, it's powerful. I heard a unique story, though, Bill. Uh, this was years ago in India. And uh, one of the missionaries there had just preached on this verse. And one of the Brahmins uh, came in, a very holy man, and he said to, to the pastor standing aside, he said, look, you say, you know, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can somebody say Jesus is Lord. I am not a Christian. I'm a Hindu. Watch me. Jesus is Lord. And the pastor said, well, wait a minute. And he took him upstairs, and there was a like a portico that led out to the the uh market out front. And when he got up there with the Brahmin, he said to the market, hey, hey, quiet, quiet, quiet down, quiet down. You're, you're, one of your leaders wants to say something to you about Jesus. And the guy turned red. And suddenly he dashed out of the room because the conviction really wasn't there. Mm-hmm. He could say it, but it didn't come out of the heart. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He was put on the spot and couldn't, couldn't come out with it. No. Yeah. How about you, yeah, Peter? I- what can you come out with? Uh, yeah i I really appreciate what Parrish said about uh, the heart just now and and um that that belief structure what we actually believe where our values are and i think one of the things that gives believers concern and 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 maybe a bit of consternation and, and we talked about this very verse in my evangelism and discipleship class this last semester in the spring at northwestern and what gives believers maybe some some fear is they don't know if they believe in their heart strongly enough in order to get to heaven when they die. And and I think a couple things we can say about that is, um, the first thing is, 
to be saved in the biblical text, uh, I think somewhere along the line, we've reduced it down to this idea of a magic ritual or a magic prayer that we do that positions us properly for eternity. And I think that's understandable on one level because we have that existential question, gee, what's going to happen when I die? Will I end up with God? Will I not? It's, it's, it's a powerful question. But just because it's a powerful question doesn't mean that that's the question that the scriptures are trying to answer when it has to do with salvation. And so what does it mean to be saved? From a scriptural standpoint, it means that I, I, am, I am free from the power of sin and death ruling in my life in the present. It doesn't mean I'm free from the power of sin and death. It means that I'm power, I'm free from its power as having the only say in my life. And so when somebody believes in their heart, what they're doing is they're saying, uh, God, I need a different kind of power at work. I need to be saved from this power of sin and death that is wreaking havoc on this on this mortal frame of mine. Can you, is there a different power available? And and uh, and so for the person who is saved in that in in that sense of the word a different power, the power of the spirit of life that the Bible talks about in Romans 8, that it talks about in Romans 7 and many other places, begins to set us free from the power of sin and death. So I say all that. My, my theological buddy just released a book on salvation, and, and he clarifies it even further. He says, salvation in Scripture is a, is a present ongoing thing within the Greek tense. It means that yes. we are being saved. And and there's a future component to it, of course, that the the salvation we experience in the present is also giving us hope of the fullness of salvation in the future. So if I try to pull all of that together then, Bill, I think what we're talking about here is that when somebody decides, you know what, I, I can't deal with the power of sin and death in my life uh, on my own. Uh, I'm going to fully lean into Jesus. I'm going to become his disciple. I'm going to become Jesus's follower. I am going to believe that he is the only one that has the power to conquer sin and death. And so I give him my life. And and mm -hmm. when you have that posture, the power of sin and death begins to be broken. And you naturally confess then with your mouth. You're like, well, of course Jesus is Lord. What else could free me from this power of sin and death? What else could bring life and hope and love and peace and grief that and, and or hope in the midst of grief, all of these different things? But we have to reframe our very idea of salvation in a biblical sense, not in a fear-based, I wonder where I'm going to go when I die kind of sense, because that just really isn't often the question of Scripture. Peter, when you fell in love with your wife, did anybody have to coach you or tell you to tell her you loved her? <laughs> no. no they, I mean, abs no, absolutely not. It just came out of you. Right. And and right. I know with my wife, it, it slipped out when I wasn't even planning on saying it. So <laughs> it just simply happens because it's so strong. One thing that's important here. You know, Jesus talked about faith is like, you know, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd say this mountain be torn up and thrown into the sea, and it will obey you. And I think we misunderstand that verse continually in our Western culture. You know, it is not—it's almost like Jesus is using a little bit of humor. You know, it's the smallest seed out there. It's tiny. It doesn't have to be very big, but it's where you put the seed— and that is the issue of Christianity. It's not how much faith I conjure up, because I'm up and down like everybody else emotionally, day in and day out. It's where my confidence lies. And it doesn't lie in Tom Parrish, doesn't lie in my intellect, doesn't lie in my education, doesn't lie in my background. It lies in Jesus. And when I know it lies in Jesus, then out of my heart, it's easy to say, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, Tom, I, I just one more point on that, because that verse is very clear. It says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, yes. right? That, that we're talking about the power of the resurrection. And so what you're believing is not, it's not the strength of how much you believe the story is true. It's not the right. strength of your own discipleship. I mean, those first disciples were complete disasters, as we are too. 
what what the what the text is inviting us into is will you say yes to the fact that that the purpose and the function and the power of the resurrection is that Jesus beat the entire thing, all the principalities and the powers, everything of sin, death, and darkness, all of these kinds of things. And that's why he says in Matthew 28, here's the deal, all authority has been given to me on heaven and, and heaven and on earth. I, I have the whole ball of wax here. And so the question is, is do you believe that Jesus has the whole ball of wax, that he has conquered yes. sin and death through the resurrection? And if you do, you will confess that he is Lord and a different kind of power is set free in your life. I think we just have to get away from this constant eschatological or future question about where it is that I'm going to go when I die, and I'm going to do some sort of magic ritual per se to get there, because it just isn't the question of the text. Are you reading out of some book, or is that off the top of your head? Yeah, no, uh, Farish has been texting me this whole time. I'm on, he's texting me furiously okay. right now. And so you're I'm just reading, reading his words that he's texting you. Yeah, yeah, no, he's done texting now, so I'm out of material. <laughs> okay. Uh, 007 has joined us. Justin, hey, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Hey, I, w- I was actually texting you, Peter. I'm surprised. I thought I had you on mute, you know? 007, so I apologize <laughs> well, for that. No, I have a power to unmute your muting, so I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. No, great to be with you guys. Sorry I'm a little bit late, as usual. Good yeah. to have you, as always. When mm-hmm. did you jump into the conversation, and did you hear where we started with this? Because I'd love to get your I, take on it as well. We're in Romans 10, verse 9. If you yeah. declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, yeah. I, I caught—I didn't catch the beginning of it, but I kind of reverse-engineered. That's kind of what you were okay. uh, where you were coming from. Yeah, so what was the, what, what was the original question? There was no original question. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're <laughs> just talking to rip on a passage of scripture. Yeah, we're just talking so about rolling for that. Yeah, yeah, this wonderful verse, how powerful it is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that. I, um, yeah, I think some of one of the things, too, of the, this idea of the biblical word of confession, maybe just to kind of have a different nuance on this. I, I mean, I love everything that, that Peter said that I texted him um, and everything that I mentioned <laughs> as well. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, I agree with that. No, I, I think absolutely. But that idea of confession, I think we so often think of confession as something that um, it, really in the Greek, it has it's two sides to the same coin. On one side, it's one that we often think of, which is, uh, that idea of confessing sin, right? We, we are coming, we are admitting that we are in the wrong, we're admitting that we are in sin, that we are succumbing to the power of sin and death. We don't, we need to be rescued, we need a Savior. Um, and, 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 but I think there's also this idea of coming into uh, 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 of, of agreement with that. And I, and I think the, this admission and agreement where we see here of this confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in her, God raised from the dead, that you will be will be saved. Um, I think this is a confession um, that, it, that doesn't just happen the moment, you know, that we begin our walk with the Lord, that we're transferred from life to death, that we are justified. But this is a confession that needs to happen on a daily, ongoing yes. basis. And in fact, I was listening to a song, guys, this morning, um, that that basically was just talking about, the, you know, the enemy's accusation over us, and he's, he's saying that we're cursed, that we're gone astray. Um, that we can't obtain salvation, all this stuff, you know, stuff. And the fact that, and the, and the singers of the song are saying, like, yes, he's right. He's absolutely right. But he's actually, he's preaching the first verse so conveniently, he's forgotten the refrain, and they belt out, Jesus saves. And and I had a moment in the car driving a 35E, and thank goodness it was in traffic, it was already kind of slow. My eyes just started welling up with tears, yeah. and just the power of that reality, Jesus 
saves. Like, when's the, you know, we, we just say that all the time, but when's the last time that's literally moved us at the soul level? And I was just so grateful that you could sum up the whole gospel message and that Jesus saves, that he has saved, he is saving, he will completely save. That is, it is this ongoing work and journey of transformation. And like you said, it's it's anchored in in an, in an eternal reality, and uh, eternal life is it begins now, but it, it lasts for it begins in it's experience in this life, but it lasts forever, and it'll one day be fully consummated and realized uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. So, yeah. I, I just think this is an ongoing thing. I think we point to this as part of the Romans Road, right? This is kind of the end verse of Romans Road, or then yes. Romans, you know, eleven thirteen, and, and that Romans Road is great. But the Romans road doesn't begin where the whole story of God begins. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's and it's I think we got to pull back and see the whole picture. And and I think that it exposes the sweetness of the full reality of Jesus as, as of Jesus as our Savior. You guys are showing up with your A games today. Very impressive. Peter was texting me that. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm out of material now, too. Just, yeah, all right. If you, did, that, if you yeah. didn't like it, Tom was texting. No, I'm just kidding. No, just, <laughs> all right, we will take a break. When we come back, we'd, we'd love to hear your questions or comments, whatever you'd like, 877-933-2484. You can ask these pastors any question you like, 877-933-2484. gone long and now we're back guy talk is happening power panel is pastors tom paris justin jepson and dr peter kapsner and tom brock is taking the day off for some reason i'm not just going to leave it at that all right so uh we're a little bit more to talk about romans 10 verse 9 if you declare with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved got a nice comment from bridget she said salvation is also not about feeling saved we put our faith, belief in the facts, and our feelings will follow. Many say, well, I don't feel saved. It's simply not about feelings. And right. Tom Parrish, you have an additional comment to make well, and I, a verse that was transformational. I do. I, my ministry changed when I came across this verse in John chapter 5. And at the words of Jesus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, and that's present and ongoing, has at that minute eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Even that final moment in our life when our body quits, it's not death as the world knows it. It's simply the doorway into the kingdom of God. And so I think that's such a a critical verse because Jesus is saying, right now, I'm with you. Right now, I'm declaring you have eternal life. Right now, I have a purpose for you. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It all comes back to are you going to put your confidence in me, says Jesus, rather than yourself? Nice. Yeah, I, I, I think that's pro, uh, profound, Tom. And I just think that uh, the listener's spot on on that idea of the feelings of it. And, and again, if we reframe our idea a little bit about what it means to be inter- interacting with, with God's salvation, it doesn't mean in this life. And Paul is very clear in so many passages of Scripture that he is he's fighting this struggle, that, that the power of sin and death is still 
in his life, and yet he just has a different power active in that. So I think we take a lot of questions, don't we, from listeners that say things like, well, uh, I, I got saved, but I'm still struggling with X, Y, or Z. And again, if, if we think of being saved as, well, I'm positioned for heaven when I die, then people are asking the question, can I lose that positioning for heaven when I die? But it, and instead, if we reframe it in a more biblical way and say that what it means to be saved is now you have competing powers at work in your life. And there mm -hmm. is one that it has the power of victory over sin and death, but it is nothing less than a fight. And of course, it's going to be a fight. And that's part of why we long to be raised imperishable when that fight ends, when all the tears are wiped away, when when we're living in, in the light of the lamp that is the, the lamb of the city and, and the eternal kingdom. Uh, but in this life, it's nothing other than a battle between sin and death and, and the life, uh, or as Justin said, the eternal life of God that's present. So this is not about, gosh, I, I don't feel saved. Of course, we, we're, we're in a massive struggle, and sometimes we're going to have some victory in our life where maybe we don't any longer struggle with deceit, or we don't struggle with, with that thing. God sets us free from those sorts of things. But other things, boy, oh boy, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that we continue with God's graciousness moving towards us to, to fight that battle through the power of His Spirit against the power of sin and death. But it's a battle. Well, I think somehow we get this idea that when we repent, it should all be gone that problem or yeah. whatever it was. And <laughs> right. I'm, I'm simply more conscious of my faults and how far I fall short of the glory of God since I know Jesus. The key here is this. When I stand before Jesus, he's not going to go through a litany of my sins. I mean, that would take forever to do that. What he is going to do, though, is say, did you trust in me? Did you surrender to me? Now, I don't know if they say those exact words, but that's Scripture, and that's exactly what it's about. If the emphasis is on me and how many times I've repented, I'm already lost. If the emphasis is on Jesus and what he's already done, then I'm saved. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I um, you know, I actually think if someone's not feeling saved and it's, it's causing them to, you know, towards a sense of introspection of, you know, not a self-loathing or, you know, self-deprecating that, you know, just that type of thing. But there, you know, Paul says, test yourself, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. And I think that, you know, that that drives us to that place that, that my sense of security and assurance of salvation won't arrive at looking at my performance as a Christian um, and what I've done, what I haven't done. But I, I, again, it's the Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we know that um, that Jesus always finishes what he starts. And so I, that's why, you know, that's why it's no, knowing that God's promises, knowing what he said, that he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, is, he's faithful to see it through to completion. And then it says at the day of Jesus, which is that is, which is that day, that judgment day, that day that he will come back, the day that he will make all things new. And so um, so I think when someone's actually wrestling and feeling like Peter is saying, often when you don't feel saved, it's probably because we feel like a failure or we're not measuring up to some standard that, frankly, I think often we project on ourselves or, or we have allowed others to project on ourselves and yeah. the standard maybe that we don't actually see in the scriptures or it's based not in the sense of, um, kind of the, the unforced rhythms of grace, as, as Eugene Peterson phrased it, it's for, you know forced in some type of I need to prove myself. Um, if we're battling up against that, I think that's actually evidence of God's grace and and a, and a deepening of faith and maturity in Christ. Yeah, and I, I think I can summarize Satan's strategy real simple. Um, you know, don't get out a pen or pencil, but here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Satan wants to accuse you and me and do everything in our life to keep our eyes off Jesus. 
How bad are you? How many sins have you committed? How many times haven't you done what you should have done? How many times did you let your neighbor down? Why do you think that way? And so long as the focus is on me and continually accusing me, yeah, I'm, I'm a mess. But Satan doesn't want us to look to Jesus because the moment you look to Jesus, you stop thinking about yourself. And what you see are the blood-stained hands for you and me. Mm. He died mm-hmm. for us. He did it, not us. And it's in him that my confidence is placed. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, with that in mind, I, something that I pray almost every day is, is I, in terms of talking about confession, right, is, you know, just coming into agreement with what's true and admitting. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, and I say it to other Christians, you know, I, I, we just need to realize, like, we're a mess. Like, I need to confess that I am a complete mess, but I'm Jesus's mess, and he knows what to do with me. And he started to work <laughs> in me. And, and by, thank goodness, he's going to finish it. So, yes. I mean, I've yes. got a long way to go, but he, he started it, so he's going to finish Much it. better than the way I said it. Thank you. No. <laughs> I'm going to paraphr- paraphrase this question uh, coming from a listener. Uh, do, you, do you guys know anything about Freemasons? I know nothing. I know a little yeah, bit. very little. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, but a little, too. Yeah. I, I know it'd be helpful. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a topic I would like to do more research on before I say something really stupid. Okay. <laughs> Gee, that, that can often categorize my life, Barrett. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, go ahead, Justin. I was going to say the, the only thing that I that I do know of it when, when it comes to you know certain. I don't know, groups and, you know, you can sometimes what people say, you know, even use the phrase a cult. I mean, I think that, you know, if, if you're being asked to kind of kind of pledge your unhindered allegiance and, and uh, to, to some human leader or some some human system, I think that's where um, obviously we, we, we need to be weary of that and 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 know that I think that they're in my experience very limited experience in working with a mentor um, um that you know this is remember one of the questions that he asked me kind of doing a spiritual inventory of my life and even just generationally that i think sometimes if there if there is a freemason you know kind of pledge of commitment that's been in someone's family line that that that, that there is some type of spiritual bondage that i think can mm-hmm. occur that can be transferred that needs to be renounced and needs to be broken i mean this idea confessing jesus is yeah. lord if Jesus is Lord, then that means no one else isn't. So, um, and so I think it, um, that, that is something, again, I, I, maybe I should, I'll be quiet now because that's, that, that's the only thing that I, that comes to my mind is just a kind of a faint memory of having that conversation with a mentor of mine when I was in college and kind of working through some of the, my family lineage and generational sins and things like that. All right, let's take a little break. We'll be right back with plenty more guy talk. We need your questions. There's some great ones coming in. We'll get to all of them after the break. Questions can be text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484 as we listen to some soothing music on the way out.
Welcome back. Guy Talk is going on right now. Guys who talk, that's what's happening. Very popular uh, segment of the week. Power panel is Pastor Tom Paris, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner. And we are uh, gotten all kinds of questions. And here's one that came in. Um, love listening to you guys. Are you still a true Christian if you do not have a second experience with the Holy Spirit and receive a private prayer language? Okay, guys, go ahead. I'll listen and let you know how I feel about it. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're still oh, a I mean, I... But it's, it's, yeah, it's such a good question. I don't know where you guys are coming from on this. Um, and having to look at uh, when speaking in tongues, that I think the Greek word for it is glossolalia, when it shows up in the biblical text of the New Testament, it, it happens in a couple of instances. And one is in the context of the church at a place like the Church of Corinth. It's brought up where Paul talks about the gift of tongues. And at that point, it's in the context of a variety of gifts that may be possible among the people of faith, but it's not the expectation that all of the people of faith would have all of the same gifts. And in fact, it seems like God has designed the body in a certain kind of way that there would be individualized gifts that are all meant then for the good of the body. And all of those gifts are necessary. So it's sort of this Um, weekly experience of the interdependence that we're meant to have as believers on one another. We just simply can't do the journey alone. We need the gift of of teaching and compassion and evangelism and tongues. Like, we need all of these gifts all working together and operating. And, of course, the Church at Corinth did what we all can have a tendency to do, where they elevate certain gifts over one another and and, and instead of seeing them as all part of the, the interdependence. So that's one part where the gift of tongues shows up, and there's clearly nothing from that passage of Scripture that would indicate that everybody needs to have that gift. The other time, and I think it's the time most people point to when they ask this question, is what's going on in the book of Acts, where we see tongues falling on uh, sometimes Jews, often Gentiles, when they say yes to following Jesus and the Spirit becomes active in their lives. But in in that particular instance, uh, probably the best reading of the text is that I, I think we underestimate how confusing it was for the early Jewish followers who were becoming Christians, right? There, it, was, it was starting in Jerusalem, and it was a group of Jewish disciples and Jewish people that agreed to follow Jesus. And their whole mindset for several hundred, if not over a thousand years was, you do not have anything to do with the Gentiles. Like, you stay far away from the Gentiles. You are God's chosen people, have nothing to do with them. And part of the great confusion and, and, and the wrestling match in the book of Acts among those early Jews was, hang on a minute, this whole thing, Jesus says you're supposed to go out to Samaria? We don't. We never go to Samaria. You're <laughs> supposed to go to the ends of the earth? We never go to those places. What are we talking about here? And suddenly the Gentiles, as Paul would talk about, are being grafted into the family of God. And for a lot of Jews, that would have been unbelievably difficult to believe, so much so that Peter's having crazy dreams and all of these sorts of things in the book of Acts. So when, when you put that in the context— the gift of tongues, as it appeared among the Gentiles, was sort of this indisputable proof that the that the Spirit was active in their life as a sign to the Jews that they were part of the family. So to take that idea of tongues and twist it in a certain kind of way that says, you've got to have the second blessing to be in, um, it is certainly part of some uh, Christian traditions today. But I would suggest that that's probably—I think the gift of tongues can clearly be active today. And I know people who speak in tongues. I don't myself speak in tongues, but— but I know faithful believers that I trust that have indicated that as part of their experience, and I, I know there's controversy on that. But I think that it's fair to say, from a biblical standpoint, there's nothing that suggests you have to speak in the gift in, in the in the gift of tongues in order to be somehow 
part of the kingdom in that way. I don't know how you guys. I can back that up it, for but you. That's my best shot. No, I yeah. can back that up because in First Corinthians twelve, Paul's dealing with the spiritual gifts, and then in verse twenty nine, he says, "This are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles." Do all possess gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Right there, Paul is arguing that there is no one particular gift that sets you apart. The body is filled with all of these gifts for its own for the Lord's own purposes. And I think somehow, when you look at you know history, history, you look at Christianity, you look at the movements within Christianity. Part of the problem we all got into, and I, here's why we have so many different denominations. We all got focused on one part of the scripture, and we ignored the rest of it. And we made that the thing that was kind of, this is what makes you a believer or not a believer. Well, apart from Jesus, that's the only thing that makes you a believer. But here in scripture, Paul's saying, you know, not everybody speaks in tongues. So if Paul's saying it already back then, there's a reason we need to understand that. And are you a Christian? You're a Christian because of Jesus, not because you speak in tongues. Yeah, yeah, I... I agree with uh, with both of you guys there, and I think the you know it's been interesting. It's some of the some of the language that we use um, around who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, I think, is often inconsistent with what we see in the New Testament teaching. So, for example, you know, I've heard it phrased that you know you can be saved, but you're but you have to be baptized by the Spirit, and that refers to that second that second blessing uh, piece and. To my knowledge, and I was just trying to look it up here, I think the only time that the New Testament talks about actually, you know, using the word baptized and, and the Holy Spirit, and to, like together, talking about the baptism of the Spirit, Tom, is in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. So that idea of be, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, I think, I see it as synonymous to you being being saved to enter into that relationship, that life-giving, eternal life as a member of God's family, as a part of Christ's body. But I like the way one pastor said it, um, that, you know, the Scripture talks about us then moving forward as Christians as not being baptized by the Spirit, but as being needing to be continually filled by the Spirit. So there's one baptism, yeah. but there's many fillings. And why do we need to be filled constantly? Because, well, we, we're leaky. You know, we so often uh, <laughs> will succumb ourselves to other things and, and want to be filled with other things and don't depend on the Spirit in the way that we have the ability to, because um, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, um, but that isn't to say that I think the the in God's sovereignty, He can bestow different gifts in different times and different seasons. But I think, sure. again, we can't equate any one particular spiritual gift um, as the um, kind of surefire evidence that one is saved. You know, you go back to the thief on the cross. I look at that as the most foundational verse on salvation that exists. What did the guy on the cross do? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's it. There was nothing else in that conversation that's recorded that we need to know about. That is the basis of salvation. The thief on the cross admitted he was a thief. And then ultimately he looks to Jesus and says, look, you know, remember me. I mean, that's crazy. You're hanging on the cross. You're saying, remember me. So he knew who Jesus was, and he, he acknowledged that through what he said. And Jesus said, today 
you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you know, we're going to give you a couple more days and hope you had a couple of these other gifts to your life and you do these. No, today. So for me as a pastor, when I start, that's the foundational scripture verse. And then all the other ones add to it. But that's all that's really required in the end is confession of Jesus. All right, here's another question, gentlemen. As a Christian in the public school system, I am completely surrounded by the LGBTQ agenda. Specifically in the school I work in, it's a middle school for kids with behavioral issues. We have to use their preferred pronouns, which goes against everything I believe. But if I quit, who will pray for these kids? My question is, am I betraying my faith by keeping it silent and bringing it to God? Yeah, I'll hang up and listen. (laughs) My wife was in this dilemma. She was a public school teacher and principal in Minneapolis. And the last three years, her outspokenness about her faith in Jesus and the fact that our one son was the uh, uh, running the campaign for a political Republican political candidate, which many of them didn't like, the pressure on her was enormous. So I can't speak to what one individual does, but in her case, she continued to speak out, and it was not easy. We had many tearful nights. We had a lot of stress. It was it was hard. I would say to this individual, the biggest thing you can do is keep ministering to those kids and wait for a divine appointment. Wait for one of them or a parent or a teacher to say to you, why do you do the things you do? And then open up your heart and talk about Jesus. Yeah, I think, boy, that is so profound, Tom, I think, because I, we often understandably look for principles by which to live. And, and so we have, do we have to do this or do we have to do that? And and the witness of the biblical text is that that God is our shepherd. And so there is this leading. It, it's it's sort of combined with the question of how do we hear God's voice? And it's hardly ever audible and it's hardly ever this, you know, m- magical sort of experience. But But through the nudgings and the promptings of the heart, um, that when, when we move our faith from principle-based only to to a combination of, of principle and relational, what that does is um, it helps us walk in the present moment, asking the question, how how can I be a redemptive agent today? And then trust that God's leading will lead you in that way. You use the word divine appointment. And I think there's all this pressure to say, I've got to do the right thing by some definition in every circumstance I find. Like if you just, if you're in the grocery aisle, you better share Jesus with the 14 people behind you in the aisle because you're an evangelist, right? And and maybe or maybe not, but but I think um, instead of living by principles that you gotta, 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 uh, to, to learn to, to attune yourself to the still small voice of the Spirit as a redemptive agent in this world and trust that there may come a time when this listener, this teacher, has to put it all on the line sure. because somebody, he, he is going to be asked by God in that moment to be a redemptive agent, regardless of what comes. I mean, this is, that's the witness of the text, right? There's so many believers that suffered massively as a result of it, but to just throw yourself out there and say, I should do that. Well, sometimes that does more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Then you're the one that's somehow deciding and not working in what Dallas Willard calls the, this mysterious, but very real co-agency, co-ambassadorship with God, leading the way, using us as agents. You just have to trust that voice when it's time to, to move in a certain kind of way. And I think the other thing we need to say is this, you know, having been a teacher myself, being married to a principal, being around the whole educational system, I've got a fairly good understanding of how it works. And it's it's not quite as straight as we realize. There's a lot of flexibility in it. If you're that teacher, you're the teacher who wrote in the question, if you get into a dilemma because you've stood up for your faith, don't be afraid 
to call Bill or call this radio show, and my wife and I will go there with you to the school board. We will stand with you uh, in this uh, discussion because as Christians, we've got to quit you know, wishing others good luck, God bless you, and I hope <laughs> you say something. We have to be there for them, and we will be there for you. I love that, Tom. I just and I and I just so sympathize the the pressure. And I know many people in the public schools, and I was trained as an educator in those schools as well way back in the day. And and the pressure is enormous, and it yeah. just has to to weigh day in and day out. So I, without any hint of patronizing at all, I'm just I'm so grateful that this person is standing in the gap. And Parrish, you know, you and I have been in pastoral ministry. We've seen that kind of kind of work. And I think it's the faithful believers in these quiet areas of life that are really bringing the kingdom to bear in ways that people that are in public ministry never can. Exactly. All right, Justin, I know you stepped aside for a minute. Um, even with level five security, you disappeared. I don't know where you went, but you're back. It's amazing. He has his own little bat phone. In his oh, I know he does. I know he does. Yeah. Peter somehow, I don't know, hacked it and, and got me to cut off. So I think we'll just take, we'll take a break. We'll come back uh, with your questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Thank you for all the great questions that have been sent over today. It's been really, really great. You're listening to Guide Talk. Power Panel is here, ready to take your questions. Be right back. We're back. Guy talk. You know, we're talking. Uh, what are we talking about right now? Tom and I got off on on topic when we were on the break. I was reading to him something that was uh, said by Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, the the magicians, and live in Las Vegas. And a very uh, sincere Christian businessman, after seeing his show a second time, went up and presented a Bible to him. Now, Penn is a uh, is an atheist and a very outspoken one, but he went home that night and kind of did this uh, video that went viral. And in essence, this is what he said. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's a profound statement. I mean... Next to scripture, I would I would hang that on my wall because it says everything that we need to hear. It's like a mirror. I got to look in that mirror at myself and say, do I really believe this stuff about Jesus? Do I believe it enough to even lovingly talk to others but lose their friendship? Yeah. And the question is, yes, we have to do that. Yeah, I think too when we start um, asking for the to, to see the world through the through the eyes of God and, and with the heart of God, you start seeing. I think through the lens of pain and sorrow and brokenness, I just there, there's so much evidence in the text of God's heart being grieved at at His beautiful creation that has chosen to go another way. And clearly, uh, God moves in anger at times. And and what's interesting about that <clears throat> is that His anger is always a passing characteristic. That's at the end of a very long journey uh, of of a wooing grief, of a desire that everybody would return. And it's only then that anger manifests itself in, in a certain way uh, of cutting that generation or that people or that person off to sort of protect and preserve the future. But when we take on the heart of God, when we take on the eyes of God, 
uh, we begin to see the profound brokenness in the world. And then from that place, you begin to say, of course, I want to move naturally and, and supernaturally through the spirit towards people's lives to invite them into this eternal kingdom, because we have to penetrate this great fog, this great darkness in which we live, where people are kind of asleep and and uh, and not knowing what's all going on now and in the future. And so it's it's a beautiful but painful prayer to, to pray, to be asked. God, to say, help me see the world the way that you see it over time, because you do start then seeing uh, through these painful eyes of just all the sorrow that's around you. And you do want to begin to share the good news if from some different places than just pressure. I got to share the good news all the time. You're just like, you know what? I want to be prepared at all times for the hope that dwells within me. And if there's ever a chance to share it, I'm, I'm willing to do so. Praise God. I love this passage in James chapter four, verse two, that says you do not have because you do not ask. All right. Um, this verse can feel confusing to people because they ask all the time, but maybe they're not seeing any answer or anything that feels very clear cut. And they're wondering, what am I doing wrong? I'm asking, but I'm not getting. I've heard this yeah. a lot. Out yeah. of... Go ahead. So, well, I was just going to say, I, I think that, um, yeah, <laughs> it is a very sobering uh, passage. I mean, I think that in regards to prayer that you do not have because you do not ask. But I think it's, um, you know, reading that in its context, uh, you know, James here is saying you don't you don't receive because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passage, passions. And so he's talking about the motive behind our asking. And um, and so I think to the believer who's confused by this, saying, I, I am asking, and I believe that I'm having a good motive. Of course, we, we don't fully understand our motives. I think we, we have mixture of motives all the time, every day, you know, but I think if we're admitting that, confessing that, and saying, uh, you know, I believe that I'm asking from a godly motive, um, you know, I, I meant to remind that it's fond of saying, you know, God, God's answers are always better than our requests. And so, so in other words, even, even in our asking, um, sometimes the way that we receive or what we receive in our asking or the timing in which we receive it um, could be very different. So we can we can trust um, the Lord to respond to our asking in, in the way that we know is going going to be best for us, um, and we'll give Him glory um, in in the in the process. And so often, I don't know about you guys, but I think often there's always a waiting period, you know, in the asking. And I think that's because you know, uh, there, there's a sense of in me asking, I think there's sometimes a test. Am I really wanting the Lord for who he is? Um, am I really desiring, uh, to seek his face, you know, uh, and, and his character and be in relationship with him? Or do I really want just him for what he can do and what he can give and what he can provide? And so, um, so I think sometimes there is a testing, there is a waiting period in our, in our asking, you know, and, uh, Particularly, I think the question that I've gotten a lot is, well, I've been asking the Lord to bring, you know, a, a, a relative to salvation, you know, that, that he would save my dad, that he would save my grandpa, that he'd save my uncle. And I've been asking for years. And so um, that, that's a godly desire. I think that's one that's rooted in a motive that is absolutely foundational and found in Scripture. And so persist and persevere in that prayer. And uh, I think part of what that does, and God is doing something in us in the process of waiting that's just as important as what he wants to maybe do through us sure. or what he wants to do in giving us what we are asking for. Early in my ministry, I had to preach on this very verse, and I stumbled all over it. Not a very good sermon. <laughs> Afterward, I had an elderly lady come up to me, and she goes, well, 
thanks for trying, Pastor. <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs> she said, but let, but let me give you some clarity here about this verse. And she said, I've learned the hard way. And I said, well, what is that? She said, imagine your prayer would have to go up on the screen for everybody in the congregation to read. And if you're willing to do that and have them critique it and respond to it, you're in the right place. Because then your brothers and sisters in Christ can say, well, if you've been praying for your uncle for 15 years, when was the last time you called him? Did you send him a Bible like this guy brought to Penn and, and tell her? You know, have you gone out of your way to spend time with him? And most of us would have to say, no, I haven't done that. So I think that the answers to prayer, we want a divine answer. What we don't understand is that 95% of all our divine answers, the Lord moves through people who encourage us, push us, challenge us, stand with us, and are there at those difficult times. And that's why when I would run men's groups, I would ask the men, what's your deepest prayers? Are you willing to share with this group? And at first they wouldn't, of course. But then eventually, after I shared about 20 of mine, they started to to share theirs. And then they would begin to lovingly, and I'm serious, critique one another. Well, Bill, why are you asking for that? You already have a lovely wife. You've got three lovely kids. Why aren't you putting time in praying for them rather than praying that you have this great success over here in your business? You know, you already got a big home and whatever. It was amazing how it began to transform these guys in terms of their prayer life. And then it reached a point where, you know, I couldn't shut these guys up and I couldn't send them home. They were there all night. I was thinking after you shared your 20, you were alone in the room. (laughs) Just about. All right, this is something that was kind of in conjunction with the earlier question about the Freemasons, which none of us really knew much about. But another um, question was, or a comment was, is the Pledge of Allegiance a good idea for Christians? Is it actually idolatry in disguise? And her comment is, uh, I love my country, so this isn't the issue. It's about pledging to something other than God. Gosh, I think I'll hang up and listen now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. What a what a sweet and and really good question. Great I, question. I think um, maybe there's a couple things, and, and sort of let people sort of walk in their own conscience in this. And this is coming from the perspective shared by the listener that I absolutely love our country, and I've referenced it many times before that. I, I was not expecting my reaction when we had an opportunity to go to Normandy, to go to France, and, and to see those beaches. Mm-hmm. And, and I just stood, I, I stood on those beaches and wept in gratefulness for the young men, it was men serving at that time, who, who gave their lives, certainly from other countries, but from our country as well. And, and there was just something profound uh, and, and chilling and wonderful uh, and, and grief-stricken about standing on those beaches. And so... Um, that's the context. I've also had a, a war veteran um, stand up. He was, a, he was now a pastor, and he was in one of my ethics classes in seminary one night, and, and he shared with the class that he was in the city of Fallujah in Iraq, and, and he went through sort of this um, breathtaking account of what it was like to take the city step by step and inch by inch and, and everything, and it, it really was sort of the sacred space. So all of that is background. We also have to recognize that at the end of the day, um, every kingdom— in this world will rise and fall, every last one of them. And and there's only one eternal kingdom that will remain at the end of the day. And uh, that's been true of all of the nations in the history of the world. However blessed or not blessed they believed that they were, 
certainly nobody in the in the nation of Babylon or the Roman Empire, the Grecian Empire or the Assyrian Empire probably ever imagined a world without that empire being at play. But they all those empires are now in the dustbin of history. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they, they failed, though many do tend to crumble internally. Uh, and that tends to be the pattern as to why nations fall. But the point of that is it, it is simply consistent with Scripture that at the end of the day, there's only one kingdom that's going to rule on this earth. Sure. So how do we pledge our allegiance in the midst of that? And 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 do we give our lives, um, and, and by allegiance I mean all of what we believed, all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our well-being to a temporary earthly kingdom? On that level, I think we have to ask some serious questions about that, where we can hold the tension of a deep and profound, grateful love for the country in which we live, while recognizing that it is not the country in which we live that is going to bring the permanent hope, love, um, peace, and joy, and all of the things that only the eternal kingdom can bring. You know, the Pledge of Allegiance, though, is unique historically, in that, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. That I don't know of any other nation, historically or present, that even invokes the name of God, even though it's generic, and I'd much prefer it be Jesus. But I don't know of anybody that even does that. I don't know any constitution or declaration of independence that talks about, you know, inalienable rights given to us by our creator. So it's a powerful thing. And uh, I empathize with the listener, but, you know, stand up for Jesus no matter what happens. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your participation. You'll all receive the home version of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, being part of today's program. (laughs) Thank you so much, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Yep, thanks to everyone. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Chris Bruno is going to talk about ancient Israel in the New Testament. And then Dr. Cal Beisner will be showing up uh, a little bit later in the hour. We're going to talk about what's going on in the climate change. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.